0: relationships are easy to start, but they get hard right after that. Don't they? Relationships are really easy. Sometimes it starts with, with the word hi, and, but right after that, they get hard. Uh, you know, my, my brother, it was really easy for me. Uh, my mom said, you stay home uh, with grandma, and I'm going to the hospital, and my mom went to the hospital, and out came my baby brother, and I have a relationship. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but um, she gave birth to a millennium, and that produced some problems in my family. Um, I'm not suggesting all of them are. I'm suggesting in this case, my relationship with my brother, um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. It hasn't always been easy, and it's taken, it's taken some works. So I know if you went and looked at that, my family photos, you'd say, yeah, but you're smiling, and I would say at the pain of death, all right? They made us smile in those pictures. Okay, so why, why, why do I share that with you this morning uh, about the work and the relationship with my brother? Because um, I wasn't going to, but at 5 a.m. Um, this morning, uh, my brother called me. Out oh, of no, the 7 billion people on this globe, my brother called me and told me, woke me up and told me that um, he just had uh, my niece, three months early, one pound, 11 ounces, and pray, pray for little Lily Mae. Um, but I had a great opportunity when my house was quiet to share the gospel with my brother. Not, 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 a, not an easy relationship. They're hard work because there are no easy accidental relationships in this world. None. They all take work. If you if you want a relationship, just, just right. It's going to take work. You want some bit <coughs> of wisdom to take home? Just say.
1: This morning,
0: relationships take work. They do. But here's the good news the plan is simple. Open your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. Relationships are difficult. The plan to have healthy relationships, the plan to have relationships that thrive, the plan to have relationships that are healthy and growing, it's an easy plan. In fact, as I think about the sermon and and what God has in store for you, I think it's laughable that that, that I would even have to stand up here and share. uh, Because it's really that simple. God really puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. So here's what's going on. Uh, We went through the first two chapters of Colossians, and as as Scott said, this is uh, the most Christocentric book, or by some argue, the most Christocentric book in the New Testament. And that's true. And that starts off in verses 1 through 4. All this focus on, on who Christ is. So that's not surprising. But who is he aiming at? Because he turns a corner. People would say, and as, you see, as you're going to see this morning, Paul turns a corner. He goes from all this theology to all this make sure your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. Make sure you, you, have, you believe in the right things. He turns a corner in chapter 3 and starts talking about applications, some more practical things. And the first thing he talks about um, is a passion for Christ. And what he ends chapter 3 with is talking about relationships with your wives, and then it goes down to um, slaves and free men. And so he covers all the relationships at the end of chapter 3. And, and saying, you know what, if, if, if you want to have healthy relationships, he tells us this is what you do. So how does he get there? And I would argue the whole of chapter 3, what I'm going to show you this morning, hopefully, and then you will believe, is that this is about relationships. Paul wants these Colossians to have healthy relationships. They come from, as we'll see in in verse 10 and 11, they come from all different backgrounds. And they're they're a new church. And how are they going to survive? And it's the first thing he talks about after he says, you've got to believe the right things, you've got to believe in the right Jesus. I believe what he says here is, and you will see, is that it is about relationships. So before we jump in to that simple plan, Let's pray <clears throat> father I don't come to you as anyone that's figured out relationships and knows how to make them work but uh, I pray that we all this morning would, would covenant even in this prayer and say hey I want to work at relationships uh, I want I want I want to get better at relationships not just the ones with with my spouse or with co-workers but everywhere all of them I want to see them improve Father, for your glory, that, that we might, that Wellspring Church might be a testimony to a world that is lost and dying without you, of what relationships can be, of what they could be, and that we would take that from your word, in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> so we don't just want to, as the church, just have relationships that get by, do we? I mean, I mean uh, we want relationships that... Relationships that that tell the world a testimony about who we believe Jesus Christ is. So, if we want to have, you want to improve your relationship, the the first thing that Paul says is increase your passion for Christ. Seems a little simple, doesn't it? That's what he says. Look, verse 1 If then you have been raised with Christ. let's, Let's see who he's talking about. He's talking to Christians, right? Now, you and I both know, as we flip through the New Testament, there's been no book that sounds the book of Wellspring. Why, why do I say that? Because there is the book of Colossians, and they were a church. And because it, it seems to me that, that being getting your name you know, in, in the Bible is pretty important. Like, you had to be a decent Christian. Like, your church had to have a something going for it that it gets mentioned in the Bible, that there's a book named after you. And I say that to say this. Paul was talking to three different groups of people, as I'm sure there are three different groups here this morning. He was he was saying Christians, he was talking to Christians, uh, those who are think they are Christians, that's the second group, Christians, and those who are think they are Christians. And then there was a third, uh, those who are simply investigating Christianity, those who are, what is going on? I mean, are they are they walking in through these doors and screwing peanut butter tr- on each other? I mean, what's this Christianity thing is weird? Perhaps that's you this morning. You're investigating Christianity. This sermon is an intramural sermon for you. This is something that that we have inside. This is not necessarily something that might bring conviction to you. If you want to use something to improve your relationships, then by all means. But who Paul is talking about, the reason why he says if, then you have been raised with Christ, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, because he realized even in this world-beater Colossae church, there might be people that were going to church because their mom told them to or because they had... They, they they wanted to make their mom happy, or they wanted to make their dad happy, or it's just what they did. And so he says if, because it's likely that people really didn't believe in Jesus Christ, and yet they were there. And Paul's testimony to them is, and my testimony to you this morning is, it doesn't have to be that way. You keep going Sunday after Sunday, and you're insulating yourself from the truth that convicts you. No, no conviction from the gospel this week. No conviction from the gospel this week. But I'm going to keep going. You guys, know, you're making it harder for God's truth to get home. And Paul's response and my exhortation is to you is to end it. Now repent, believe. That way we can say those of you that believe in Jesus Christ. But that's not how the book started. It says if, yeah. but here's what here's the here's if you want to have a relationship, good relationship, it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the point. Then he goes on in verse 1, it says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And, and then here's another <coughs> command, set. So Paul gives two commands, seek and set. Now Here's the idea. Christianity is not some uh, limp-wristed, anti-intelligent religion. Um, it is rigorously intellectual. That's Paul's point. That's what he's made in the first two chapters. And he starts off with, in chapter 3, Saying, if you want to have a good relationship, go after Jesus Christ. Make some categories about heaven, hell, about eschatology, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about how to understand reality. Set and seek Jesus Christ. Go after him. Now, I'm not sure uh, where, who specifically said it, or or, uh, when it was said, but specifically, but I have heard, I've heard in the past, this statement in a very negative way that says doctrine divides. Um, yeah, don't don't make a, a thorough doctrinal statement because that simply divides people. Now, as a kid who grew up on a pig farm um, and who is now a pastor, uh, my word to you is that's hogwash. Um, as as a friend, I would say that's unbiblical. Right? Doctrine um, doesn't divide. That's what you guys get, that's what Paul is telling us to do. He's saying, "Go after it. Get get some doctrine. We don't just believe in any Jesus. If we believe in any Jesus, we'd be at the Mormon temple this morning. But we're here at Wellspring because doctrine matters. What you believe about Jesus Christ matters. And he commands us: pursue the person of Jesus Christ. Pursue understanding him. Think about him. Seek him." Well, 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 If I do that, that's going to make me strange with my coworkers. And it does. It might, but it doesn't. Far from making you uh, what the world calls us, it actually opens your mind to truth. It actually gives, makes you better than who you are. I know people would say Christians are, are anti-intellectual, and I'd say, really, you should have seen me before I was saved. Like, if you think I'm not smart now, you should have seen me then. And, and Paul is saying uh, this is an intellectual endeavor get a robust understanding of who Jesus Christ is. He we said, "Well, well, well, if I, if I do that, if I become fired up, if I if I'm super passionate about who Jesus Christ is, perhaps perhaps someone says something mean to me, Paul Paul, Paul saw that you uh, might object and he says in verse 3, uh, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? It means Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It means you can't find it. It means it's not like your car keys. You drop behind the couch, you don't find it for three weeks. Your salvation is secure. That word life, that's your salvation. It's secure. right? (laughs) There isn't isn't anyone that's smart enough or or powerful enough or or just wise enough to take away the thing that's most important about you. And that is where you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. It It is secure. And we don't have to be intimidated by it relationships. We are secure in Christ. and uh, We can shake the president's hand without fear. And and we can talk to that professor without fear. What are they going to do to us? Our life has been hidden with Christ in God. I don't even know the answer to where your life is. God doesn't share that with pastors and not you. No one knows. You don't know. You couldn't go and find it and throw it away if you wanted to. It's hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, I think good, God is good at hide and seek. Let's move on. It gets better. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, when religions start throwing around or when people start throwing around this idea of glory and, and the language gets super spiritual, like, I, I get detached. Like, I think this is probably why I didn't end up um, a Buddhist staring at my navel waiting for Ravana. because I I want things to be practical. And so when it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, okay, I get that. This idea of glory. Here's what I want you to do for me, because here's how it makes sense for me. And hopefully it helps you understand the picture that Paul is trying to draw here. In your wildest dreams, what do you want to have happen? God said, "Like I believe, and I think it's it's clear in God's word whether you're five or ninety-five. You have some dreams. You have some things that, if it were perfect, this is what it would be. What are they? You don't have to shut them up. But what are they in your mind? What are they? That perfect thing that if, if it were be if it were to be here tomorrow, it would light your fire. You would be excited. Right, now that feeling, that feeling you get, that thought that you have." Take that, bottle it. Jesus Christ bottles it and gives it to you for eternity. That's His glory. He has enough to spare. He is an infinite God, and that feeling you get <coughs> about your dreams coming true are matched and exceeded in a period with Jesus Christ. See, well, that's great. I can see that Paul is saying we want to have great relationships. Have 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 a preoccupation um, with heaven. Be, be preoccupied about the things of Jesus Christ. So that I understand how to respond earthly. That's what Paul is saying. But how, did, how does that help me uh, with, with the fight I had with my spouse last night? Now, I'm not saying I did. I don't think we did fight last night, did we? You know, not last night. But how does it help? <laughs> how does it help? How does a passion for Jesus Christ help? Because that seems to be just kind of arbitrary. Like, yeah, that's something we should do for everything in life. Illustrate it like this. You guys are, are uh, familiar with Ptolemy. If you're not, you're going to be when I share it with you. He's the guy, he's the Roman mathematician around the second century AD. He came up with the idea that everything in this universe revolves around the earth. Right, now you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Like, yeah, we studied that. Yeah, okay. So <coughs> that's what Ptolemy is. And uh, the world believed that for roughly 1,300 years until along comes this guy by the name of Copernicus. <coughs> you guys know what Copernicus said, right? He said, that's not the way it goes. He said, he said, actually, everything in the universe revolves around the sun. And then from that point on, science, like literally just, I don't know if that was the reason, uh, but, but science just absolutely takes off. Because they ordered the universe correctly. And Paul is saying, and I am saying, if you order your life correctly around Jesus Christ, your relationships will be better. Grandchildren, in-laws, outlaws, friends, enemies, bad drivers, loud neighbors, annoying co-workers, lying bosses. God doesn't give those to you to make you happy. He he gives those to you so that you could give glory to Jesus Christ. It's not about them. It's about Jesus Christ. They're not given to make you happy. They're given so that you'll give glory to God. So that that we can be preoccupied with who he is. Not our piddly, mundane things. So how do I increase that passion for Christ? That's why Paul said, set your mind on, seek. I would submit to you, read your Bibles. There are a lot of cool stories in there. I've been a believer for 20 years, and I'm still surprised some of the stories I read. Like, read your Bible. And, and don't be afraid to categorize and say, hey, you know what, this is how this fits. I think of, of last week's Scott's sermon. He knew in 10 minutes into the sermon that this guy was selling a bill of goods. Well, how did he know that? Because he had studied Jesus Christ, he had studied the Bible, he had a category, and within seconds he knew what was a lie, what was real. And that only that clarity, that passion for Christ helps relationships. And the next thing you want to improve, you want healthy relationships, don't just increase a passion for Christ, but stop it. Stop it. Now every every guy in here, every guy in here knows what I mean. When I say if you want to have a, a health, if you want to have healthy relationships, stop it, right? Like, um, every married guy understands this, right? I don't have to say anything more than the bachelor bathroom, right? If you want to have a relationship with your wife, like when was like shortly after we got married, like that, that whole thing there, that that needs to stop, right? That stops. There are certain things if you want to have a healthy relationship, if you want to have healthy relationships, you stop, and that's Paul's point. Look at verse five. Put to death, therefore. What is earthly in your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, (coughs) evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. What does this mean? Means at a minimum that we have to stop listing a country contribution, but it's a little more than that. Let me say what we saw: at least two lists in here, right? It says "I've uh, put to death," and these lists, just as broad categories, so I'm not going to go through all of them in detail, but in broad categories, it goes from personal to public. Uh, you can see that if you look at those lists. What do I mean by personal? I mean those are things that you struggle with that I don't know. If you have uh, immorality, impurity, impure thoughts, if, there's, if your passions are off in your heart, like, I don't know that. Um, but I can tell if you get angry. Um, your, your spouse can tell if you get angry. If you have slander, obscene talk, but those are public, those are a little more obvious. And Paul is saying put those off, put them to death talk about this, this idea of, of put to death, because it is it is really, really drastic. More drastic than, than uh, we would give it credit for at the surface. What, what Paul means, what this verse means, is to put an end to something that's living. To cause it to be dead. In one word, deaden something. But we don't talk like that, do we? Perhaps a better word uh, would be murder. With, with all the passion, with, with the emotion with the madman-like skills that you have, go after this list and kill it. Murder it. That's what Paul is saying. It's a very passionate word. Cut the cord. Get rid of them. Be aggressive. Be vicious. This thing of Christianity, having a good relationship with Jesus Christ, having good relationships, it's not easy. And not putting these things off simply weights us down and makes it difficult. And so Paul says, put it to death, murder it, get rid of it. We did uh, uh, make an observation about the first list. Um, the first three of them or so are, are sexual in nature. And what I would say to that is that lust is a poor substitute for Christ. Second, and perhaps just as obvious, is this hasn't changed in 2000 years. 2,000 years ago, first century, Paul is putting this list together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they struggle with what we struggle with. It was so important, he starts his list out with it. Because perhaps they didn't take Paul seriously when he said, put it to death. Third, and this is really the, the catch all thing for, for the whole first list of all those internal things, which is idolatry. Well, that whole list. What he's saying it is is, is that's idolatry, and it filling yourself not necessarily with bad things, but with things that are good and making them the main thing. See, the, the deal with idolatry is is we say, well, we're not like the we're we're not uh, we're not like the, the uh, Old Testament. We don't have idols like that. And that's not what Paul said. See, the problem with our idols is most of you brought yours with you this morning, and it's sitting in your seat make an idol of self, of how how we're important, and how how I gotta have those things, and and I gotta have the th- I gotta be fulfilled now, and I can't do what God tells me to do. And, and then the second list, put off, um, anger, wrath, malice, slander. I mean, it, this, guys, this this list seems seems a little simplistic, doesn't it? <laughs> Let me just say something real quick about about anger about anger. The worst version of you is you angry. Right? The worst version of me is me angry. I, I I don't have epiphanies about where I should direct my life when I'm angry. The best thoughts that I've had in life didn't come then, and they don't for you. Now, I bring this one up because I also know the Bible says in other places that in your anger do not sin. So there's a place for it. But mostly, you know, in my family, when I get angry, I'm using it the wrong way. And I think Paul is right to put it in there. But I think, I think here, here is the point about both lists. You control your thoughts. You control your body. You control your mind and your emotions. You control your sex drive. Or it controls you. If you, if you feed your mind the news nonstop, you wonder why you're anxious and not excited about praising God. If you fill your mind uh, with with sports, does it any wonder why you don't get a lot out of Sunday morning, and you do out of Saturday and Sunday afternoon? If you fill your mind uh, with illicit things, is it any wonder why you have tremendous problems? Paul is saying, go after those things, not lightly, in a small way. Get after them. You know these. It reminds me of a great story uh, uh, from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15. You guys can go and read that chapter when you want. But what happens in this chapter is Saul is made king. You we guys, you know he was the first king of Israel, but he didn't stay king of Israel. And this story in chapter 15 is him uh, being cut off from his, his lineage, being cut off from Israel. So what happens is he was told to go and from post to pillar, wipe out the Amalekites. Like, leave nothing, anything living, dead. All of them, dead. And, and, and uh, Saul doesn't, didn't take that command specifically. Said, well, I, I, did, I wiped out most of them, but he brought the best back with him. Now, the prophet Samuel heard about this, and he is in no small amount stirred by it. He walks up to kings. Office, because you didn't obey God's word, the kingdom will be taken out of your hand, and it's going to go in uh, to David's hand. And then, chapter 15, verse 33 the king of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, was there, and the king of the... and it, and it says just before uh, this verse, chapter verse thirty-three, it talks about the king of King Agag was like, "Oh, finally, maybe there's enough bloodshed. It's, maybe it's all over with because I've been spared, and I'm now before the king, and things can get better." Until verse thirty-three comes along, and Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. metaphor for how we need to go after our sin. Go after those lists. It, it's not a small thing. Let me share with you how dangerous it is. You guys remember the story of Esther? And Haman? Haman, the one to wipe out the Israelites? He was an Amalekite. Saul didn't do his job, and if you don't do your job, and getting your hand on those sin, it comes back. And you're just going to have to do it again. Point is get after it, kill it. You see, well, if I if I get after those things, what you're really asking me is, I may have to, I may have to, to put down my computer. I'm able to get on my computer. I, I might not be able to to get on the internet. What you're saying is, those are big things. I might have to go a different way to work. I might have to get a different job to get away from uh, from wandering eyes. That, that, would, that would be a, com- a huge inconvenience in my life. Yes. Yes, that's Paul's point. If we want to have good relationships, then the point is, yes, we do those things. It means, it means getting over this. It means no longer saying, this is just the way I am. It means putting to death sin in our lives. You know, we 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 might even say, you know, um, this this list seems to come after me, seems to come after me, um, pretty hard, and we haven't really talked about how I relate to other people. And there is this statement that I have heard, perhaps perhaps you have heard it, that it says, um, "Hate the sin, love the sinner." Based on on this passage, um, that's a lie. God says, "You hate your own sin." You love the sinner. You hate your own sin. And that, that, that phrase is said in the context of this is how I'm gonna have a relationship with people. I'm just gonna I'm gonna love the sinner and hate the sin. Don't no, you hate your own sin. Don't worry about that guy's sin. That's Paul's point. He has yet to talk about the other person's sin. <clears throat> so put off, put to death, murder, get rid of. Be passionate. Next, if you want to have healthy relationships, um, start something new. Start something new. There's some things that you're going to have to start doing. Look at uh, verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord. But there are no lasting relationships without forgiveness. None. Your relationship with your spouse won't last long. Your relationship with your co-worker won't last long. There needs to be forgiveness. And it's really, it's commanded right here. Not just because uh, we want to, but because our Savior forgave us. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. What is the idea of putting on this new self? In, in the Roman culture, in certain in, in certain parts of the land, um, it is true that the of putting when a, someone would murder someone, the dead body his his, his uh, punishment was to take the dead body and strap it to him, and wherever he went, he had to go with that dead body. Now, perhaps that is what Paul is alluding to here when he says, "Put on the new self." When you have a position in Christ. Put that on. It might not be exactly you, but put it on. I don't know for sure if that's what Paul is talking about, but it's a good idea with the new self. Like put it on. It's true of you if you bent the knee to Jesus Christ. Carry around the new self with you. You say, well, all those, you know, all those things are fine and well. Um, but here he gives us a great motivation for why we would. Here's again why why I believe that this is about relationships. The reason why Paul tells us to get after these things is is about relationships. <coughs> Look at verse 11. Here there is, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. See, the gospel destroyed all those barriers in their relationships. All of them. All of them, gone. Right? A slave could be a teacher to his master, biblically. Right? A, a knuckle-dragging Scythian could be the pastor to a church full of wise Greeks. Because they bent the knee to Jesus Christ. See, in Christ, iron curtains, prison bars, color, sex, class, distinction, class and cultural differences, all gone. Because Jesus Christ is all in all. That's why I put on the new self. Because church, that's what we want, isn't it? especially in a world that keeps being divided and divided. The gospel says it, and Jesus says, and Paul says, and Colossians says, if we will do what he prescribes, if we will put on the new self, it is possible that all those barriers that we are so aware of can fall down, can go by the wayside. It's sad that in in today's church you hear um, so animated these ideas of Greeks for Christ, Jews for Christ, barbarians for Christ, Scythians for Christ, slaves for Christ, three men for Christ, it can kind of start to put into us that if I really want to be passionate, if I want to have good relationships, if I see someone that I don't know who they are and and I want to have a relationship with them, that I first got to go to school on how to relate to a Muslim, that I first have to go to a school on how to relate to someone from Iraq. And Paul's point is if you want to be good at relationships, you, you, you simply put on this list you don't need to, need to go to school. Now, I'm not saying we don't need training to understand some nuances in other parts of culture. But ultimately, the, the Good Samaritan didn't say, wait, i, I got go to go take a class first before I help you. Okay? It, it's a passion for Christ, putting off what he tells us to put off, and putting on what he tells us to put on. If you want victory, embrace this list. Right? get real and inspired about this. Not slaves, not Scythians, this list. Right? Compassionate hearts, not jaded. Kind. Would someone classify your communication as kind? Humble. Meek. He's not aggressive. I don't know if you guys have heard the story of uh, the committed uh, lesbian Rosaria Butterfield. I'm not going to say her name wrong. Rosaria Butterfield. But it's a really fascinating story. She says her impression of evangelical Christians was that they were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, and afraid of diversity. And so she had no problem um, publishing a critique of an evangelical group in her local newspaper. And when she did that, she knew that she was going to get some blowback. And so she put two boxes on her desk, and in one box she put all the praise for her article, and in the other box she put all the hate mail that she was going to get and she went through a lot, and she went through all the mail one way in each of the boxes. But then she received a two-page response from a local pastor, and she said it was a kind and inquiring letter. It had a warmth and civility to it, and it, in addition to its probing questions, she couldn't figure out which box to put the letter in. So she just sat it in the middle of her desk, and it sat there for seven days. She said again, it was the. Kind. <laughs> opposition that I had ever received. Its tone demonstrated that the writer wasn't against her. Eventually, um, she got in contact with the pastor and his wife, and she says in their conversations, they talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. And that friendship played a huge part in her journey to faith, and she's now I think there are a lot of things in our lives that we can use that need this list of things to put on. Right? That need our meekness, that need our humility. But just one of them from this list, I would say, is let's focus on our communication, church. That tells a lot about what we have put on. You know, I was reminded of that uh, this week. I know some of you might be in my advice camp, um, and she tells me this all the time, but uh, I think I'm funny. She is not. (laughs) I say, it's been been a 15-year argument. I really am funny. No, no, you're not. You're not funny. So, uh, this last week, in an effort to be funny, um, I had heard, and I put it on Facebook, uh, that October is National Awareness Month. So just be aware. Because I you know every month it seems like we're aware of something else. And so I put it on there thinking, he, 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 I'm funny. Well, uh, Wynn says, Aaron, you should probably you should probably take that down. It might be taken the wrong way. And I thought, mm. I pushed back a little bit. But then acting, I'm not kidding, someone posted that this is, uh, I didn't know this when I posted it. I was just posting it to be funny, that this is uh, Gay Awareness Month. And also, I didn't know that at the time either, Uh, at the time either. There's also um, abuse, like spousal abuse or some kind of abuse awareness month. Um, And I thought, whoa, the last thing I want to do is offend them unnecessarily. And um, so I just made myself open um, to Wynn's criticism. And here's what I suggested to you. There are a lot of things that that we need to put on to be a more meek, to be a more humble, Um, but find someone in your life that you'd be willing to listen to their criticism. <coughs> when they said, you know, what you communicate, it's not coming across Christ-like. And just receive it. And that our communication would be one um, that might start to bring hearts to Christ, as that pastor's letter did. Church, we, we can do this. We can be good at relationships. You guys realize, this is all it is. Be passionate for Christ, Put off sin, put on righteousness. We have a freedom in Christ because he died for us, because he bled for us to look at our life in a real and honest way. That's what I love about Christianity. We don't need to play around with issues. We can go right at the heart. We have, we have, we have the courage to look at the heart of the problem. We can do this. We can become better at relationships because God has been so generous with us. He's not not telling us to do these things because it's hard and it makes us miserable. He's telling us to do these things because he wants to give us good things. He wants to give us glory. He wants us standing there on that day with as much joy and with as much passion as we can possibly muster that we are standing next to Jesus Christ. Lord, you are good. And we, we are a church in need of you. And um, I pray um, that we hear your words. Um, and take I pray that the message doesn't leave me this week. That I continue to lean into issues, that, that we as a church become better at being a testimony to who you are and your goodness. And that we might see relationships come to Christ in our lives. Someone in here, there might be someone in here that's been struggling with a relationship, and that you, this week, because we've looked at Colossians 3, that you might be able to bring life. All for your glory. In Jesus' name.